Hi guys, I'm Jo Croft. You are listening to the Puppy Coach Podcast. Join me as I share my top tips, thoughts and experiences from my career as a vet nurse and canine behaviour specialist, helping owners form a strong, safe relationship with their dog. At the age of 11, I pretty much decided I wanted to be working with animals. Um, so started trying to find my way to forge a career path into veterinary nursing. There was a girl who was already a vet nurse that lived not very far away. Um, and she told me what path I needed to take. So at 11, I was kind of set and I went into my first vet practice and said, when can I come in and start helping out? And back in the day, you could do that from about 13, 14 years old, which was amazing. So that's what I did. And then I got a little Saturday job there, Saturday and Sunday, working in vet practice and regularly brought home stories of interesting things that were going on um, after a shift there. I also started doing a little bit of dog walking for people for 20p for a half an hour walk. (laughs) And I walked uh, a neighbour's dog, um, a little beagle called Luke, who was the first one that I walked and he couldn't be let off lead because he was a beagle and hounds like to run away. So I walked in for half an hour for my 20p, which then gave me some money to go to the shop and get penny sweets, 20 of them. (laughs) So it was all good fun. Alongside that, I pretty much lived at a local stables uh, where I got my complete animal fix. Horses, dogs, geese, cats, mice, just about everything else. Rain or shine, I was up there um, mucking out, working for rides. My first pet was a budgerigar named Bobby, um, which used to defecate in every light we had in the whole house. So I have great memories of little Bobby. And he was my first pet, absolutely devastated when he left us. Um, Went on to do A-levels. And from there, I then went into my first vet practice and did day release to college to become, finally become a veterinary nurse. So that was the kind of early start of my career. I kind of forged my path right the way through and was adamant that I was going to have a career that involved animals Um, and spent the next 17, 18 years working in practice. I spent four years as a head nurse, two other further years working in clinical emergency medicine and surgery before choosing to strive out on my own to become a canine behaviour specialist. For about the last two years of my career, uh, a number of things happened while I was in practice. I was heading up a really busy small animal practice and becoming quite involved with the clients because I'd been there so long. Emotionally and physically, the job is amazing and hugely rewarding, but it's also very draining. Um, and it would start to have a, have a physical and mental impact on my well-being. So I knew something had to change. And in that space of time, I'd really noticed the decline in dog behaviour um, and started to isolate a number of things. I think the way that dogs were being viewed had changed significantly. They were very much more an emotional part of family life rather than a working animal. I think they were very much more accepted into family life given that we had good worm flea treatments. Um, Groomers were much more accessible for people and dogs were on sofas, in people's beds. The emotional boundary that the dog really needs was being breached on a regular basis and, and having a negative impact on the dog. So from a practice perspective, dogs that would come in and be quite amenable to handling, we were seeing a lot more aggression, um, a lot more dogs that were really struggling uh, with anxiety. Um, I think the 
the food was also playing a part. Different foods were being marketed to quite a high level and these foods had a lot of processing. Um, so I do think that also played a part in the initial changes in canine behaviour. So from that point on, I kind of wanted to start studying what was going on and what research was out there, what other people were finding, speaking to other dog trainers. Uh, so I started to forge a specialist interest in working in specific canine behaviour cases. I had a real love for this, I had a real love for working with the clients directly and decided to look to do further education away from practice. I guess my own personal history with dogs has also evolved over a period of time and I have a lot of thought, regret, regret and potentially some guilt over the way I interacted with Merlin, who was my first lab, who I absolutely, completely and utterly adored. I didn't go anywhere without him at all. But growing up and and trying to find your way as a a young adult, um, you know, buying my first flat, not having really any money, trying to pay a mortgage and and working full time, it became quite difficult. There were certain areas of my life that took my focus and were quite difficult emotionally. And I found that actually I lent on Merlin far too much. He was a dog that suffered with severe allergies. I know quite a lot about food allergies and ATP just because of what I had to deal with with him and the people that I met on my journey getting him better. But it's ironic now with what I know now in my career that I help people with dogs with allergies. So essentially stressed dogs produce histamine and histamine, as we know, is a big trigger for skin and gut allergy reactions. So had I had this knowledge back then, I would definitely have been able to have supported him much more rather than leaving him open to whatever was going on in my life. He also, on another level, taught me a lot about canine behaviour. And I guess my core learning came from watching him interact with other dogs, interact with people. When I started out on my own, uh, whilst I was doing all my qualifications, I ran a dog boarding, walking business. I did everything that people needed me to do. Clip nails, looked after dogs post-surgery, had dogs living in my house. I did pretty much everything and anything I could to get extra knowledge and to be able to view body language and canine communication. Um, And a big part of that was Merlin's ability to interact with those dogs and teach me when these dogs were sound, uh, teach me when I was right about dogs and teach me when I was wrong. So often in the early days, if I was assessing a case, I'd take a break about an hour in and say, can we just do a walk together and introduce your dog to my dog? And that would allow me then to see whether I was along the right path. Although I gave him an amazing life and he really did have an amazing life, I feel now that behaviourally I could have done more to have supported him with his medical needs. From there on in, I've had Marley um, and currently got Hogan and I'm about to welcome a new arrival, all being well. As most people that that spend a lot of time in my world will, will say, I don't ever really stop. There's a hell of a lot going on all the time. And I think a lot of people kind of look in and think, how on earth do I juggle all this stuff? Uh, I guess what I've done is I've turned my passions and my hobbies into my profession. I run, I'm involved in triathlon. I'm also a triathlon coach is the other side of me. So I train little junior triathletes. My horse, George, I bought him As I finished my veterinary nursing career, I was quite poorly when I came away from veterinary nursing. I was suffering with burnout and not many people really know that, but I spent about six months trying to get out of my bed because physically and mentally I was in not a great place. So George was really a little bit of downtime for me to be able to 
have some space and actually find my mojo again. He is very much a, a part of my world that's brought a level of calm. Being a mum at the same time has to fit in and, and I guess things do take a backseat and being a mum does not take a backseat. So George, I didn't see very much for a fair few years while I had the kids and I've been able to very recently reconnect and see him a, a lot more often. I also canny cross, so I spend a lot of time running with my dogs and that doubles up really well because it means I can exercise the dogs and run at the same time. When I'm feeling really energetic, we run with the dogs and then the dogs will also come and ride with George as well. So we get the whole family out. One of the things that's really useful to have is because my life is pretty diverse. um, It's been chaotic at times and and really organized at others. Being a mum of two kids, having two businesses, having a horse and two dogs and a husband and a family home to run. I don't have a cleaner. I don't have anyone helping me apart from my trusty mum who steps in with some childcare for me uh, and dog care at times as well. I think it really sets me up so that when I walk into your house as a client, I'm able to walk in with a lot of empathy for the challenges that people face. So walking in and expecting a client to be able to put a program into place that's comprehensive and requires a lot of extra time just isn't viable. So I try and look at, I always get them to write down a lifestyle for me so I can build a picture of what life looks like in their family home. Um, And then I will integrate training, rehabilitation programs, support for the dog, time out for the dog around family life. Having the ability to sit on the outside and know what that looks like Uh, really gives me a, a lovely platform, a lovely standpoint to come from. So I guess it'd be useful to kind of understand where I fit in the dog training behavior world and and why would somebody really come to me I think often what where I get quite frustrated is I've obviously got puppy coach and I've got dogs logic and you know bringing the two together really came from um, a period of frustration where the people that found me or were referred to me for puppy coach for their puppies um, didn't necessarily know I have all this other clinical knowledge and my specialist area is really looking at anxiety and emotional relationships with the dog and how people's emotions affect their dog so all that kind of knowledge goes on the back burner and then vice versa really so if if you get referred to me for from a clinical perspective with an adult dog um, that's got quite serious problems, you're not necessarily going to know that actually the other side of my work is to try and avoid this stuff going on. You know, Puppy Coach was really born to try and avoid people getting into trouble with their dogs. It's just not necessary. And if you educate yourself and you plan and you prep and you raise these dogs really well, there's no need for anyone to be having social issues with their dogs, to be having you know poor behaviours to such a degree that now we're, we're looking at dogs being put on anxiety medication and um, calming tablets and you know the pharmaceutical market is starting to benefit from the fact that we don't have the basic positive foundations in place to be able to support these dogs. I wanted to kind of bring the two together and if you're referred to me you're referred to Joe Croft now and Joe Croft will bring whatever level of knowledge to your situation that is required. So if you've got a brand new puppy, I'm going to be looking at setting you up to succeed, to be ensuring that you maintain and create a lovely, harmonious, balanced relationship with your dog, that you've got a dog you can be proud of, a dog that you call back in the park and it comes, and and you don't have a dog that, quite frankly, is, is a potential danger in society. They don't need to be aggressive to be a danger. They can just be ignoring you, be boisterous, be snatching people's picnics, be stealing balls. 
the people that come to me through the clinical side of the business don't necessarily know that I've got this package in place that that took three years to build that would have supported them to have avoided these issues in, in the first place. So bringing the two businesses together and offering a Joe Croft platform out there for people to come to so they can access all of my knowledge is going to be much more beneficial for, for clients when they come to me. So I guess to give people a bit of a picture about how it works when you contact somebody like me, uh, my training is very different to sit, stay, lay down type stuff. And I'm fully supportive of dog training classes. I think it's amazing to spend that quality time with your dog once a week with some guidance focused on your dog's basic obedience and general training. But training and obedience is quite different to understanding the psychology behind the dog and what makes the dog tick and what makes your relationship with your dog either a positive or a negative one. So just to understand the process, the, the training element, the for the dog to understand the verbal word, they're using the learnt centre of their brain, which is actually the smallest part of the dog's brain. If instinct takes over, the dog becomes uh, overexcited or stressed or upset or angry, then they start to produce the two stress chemicals that we commonly know as adrenaline and cortisol. And those two chemicals block the learnt centre of the brain. So if ever you get to the stage where your dog seems to be looking at you and just not sitting at the curb or it just appears to be ignoring you and, and not actually responding to your verbal tone, the likelihood is that he or she is struggling to process what you're saying and you might just want to take a breath and step back and let them breathe and then ask them again and go back in because to keep putting pressure on and on and on is only going to create more stress for the dog and more processing issues. Where I come in is to help an owner understand that and understand what the dog is saying through their body language communication so you can respond earlier. You don't respond when a dog is uh, lunging across the street, barking or about to bite somebody. That's too late. Essentially, you're dealing with a panic attack in the dog at that point and you can't be effective. So what I do is try and look at the precursor behaviours. What does the dog do before? How did you set that dog up going into that scenario? And we make changes there. I guess in order for me to be able to do that with you as a client, I need to be able to have and forge a trusting relationship because it may well be that I need to be a little bit critical of the way that people are handling their animals um, and I need to be a leader, an educator and a coach rather than for them to feel like I'm dictating. I know where my clients need to be, I know how to rehabilitate the dogs but essentially without having a solid trusting relationship with my client then I cannot rehabilitate their animal so for me it's really really important that people not just trust in my work because they may have had a recommendation but they also trust in my advice my relationship with them they trust me enough to share their fears their worries their negative thoughts because we can work on that then together so my role as a psychologist really for the dog also, there's huge parallels with being a psychologist for the owner. And I don't mean that in a critical way. I mean that in a, a very productive and, and positive way, focused on forging the best relationship that I can between them and their dog. Owners are a tool for me to be successful. It is in my interest for them to feel as confident um, and able and capable of managing their animal as I am. Managing human emotion becomes something for the average canine behaviourist that's the norm for every day. And being respectful that dogs create a really emotive reaction in the majority of people 
it has enabled me really to be able to work with empathy for people's situations, for how they perceive their dog. Many people view their dog as being an extension to their family, maybe another child, maybe a huge support. I've got lots of people who've got their dogs for therapy, either physical or mental health. And for me to understand really the motivation of why the dog has been acquired, how the dog is viewed, gives me a lovely window into what path I'm then going to take in order to set them an effective program. So although the parameters of of every program I set are very similar, the dog is very simple and works by a very straightforward social hierarchical code, which should be uh, involving respect on all parties and kindness and loyalty. What that looks like in each individual household will be different. So I'll take into consideration the environment that I'm working in. I could be working in a studio flat, which is absolutely fine. I could be working in a 10-bedroom house. I may have a garden. I may not have any outside space at all. So I need to be able to ensure that whatever program I set my clients is malleable for them and that it will adapt. So just to discuss the the current situation evolving in the dog world from the pandemic, and I'm, I'm sure every dog professional will have a different viewpoint on this. So this will just be my standpoint really on what I've observed. I can say that I guess my business and the approach to the situation with puppies, for me, it's changed in a, in a number of ways. The most obvious is that I couldn't have physical face-to-face contact with clients. So we had all these people that were at home And rightly so have now got the time to dedicate to having a dog in their life. And obviously that animal would give them some time outdoors. And dogs obviously bring a hell of a lot on an emotional platform to people's lives as well as a physical platform. So suddenly my business is thrown into turmoil because I desperately need to be able to help these people before we miss the early critical learning periods of these puppies developing. Um, But I can't physically get there. So prior to lockdown, I was doing some some consults online people in different countries I've done a couple in Australia I've done a couple in America um, and different parts of the UK so I kind of had a concept of of being able to work online but it was still relatively new so I still went with the same idea in that I ask all my clients to fill in a questionnaire we have a conversation on the phone to forge some sort of relationship they were sending me some videos of their puppy so I can see the body language Um, And then we were able to put together roughly 90 minute to two hour video call where we covered all aspects of of being able to educate them, setting up their homes, meeting the puppies via Zoom and actually turned out to be pretty productive. I've got my support package in the form of the book and and videos for Puppy Coach, which enabled people to be able to see physically how I work with them as well. So writing reports, being able to understand what was going on, actually, I got pretty efficient at it. And the more positive results I got, the more confident I was to be able to keep that going. I guess what I didn't uh, consider initially in the early part of, of, of things changing was the long term impact on the experiences these puppies would have. So the organic learning that puppies get when they arrive in a house and the owners just need to pop on the school run or just need to pop to the shops. So the puppy will have a really, they're conditioned to a very short period of time where they're just left for a brief period and then the owners return. So this kind of lovely organic lifestyle learning uh, where they're learning solitary time but with not such a great invasive impact had been lost. Solitary time for the dog is completely alien. So the dog is is not designed to be 
on their own. They're a social animal and expect to be around others. So in order to get a puppy to be able to cope, that has to be taught um, and the dog has to be positively conditioned to downtime alone when the owner is in the home so that when they start to step outside they can actually cope with that process and this just didn't happen so the first experience that some of these early puppies in the first lockdown had of being left alone was when they were kind of midway through adolescence and actually it's been catastrophic so normally I would get calls from people with separation or over attachment issues when the dogs are kind of six seven months old if that's happening then I can pretty much turn those cases around within a couple of weeks these cases were taking and are taking two to three months in some cases longer some cases shorter they're all obviously different But I've had to really change my timelines that have been set in stone for the last 18 years now and actually appreciate that some of these dogs are going to be traumatised by being left at six to eight months old instead of experiencing it 10 to 12 weeks in a really subtle, organic way. They are suffering from trauma because they're just not conditioned to cope with it. So from my perspective now, having the ability to be able to educate owners and support these dogs is one of the big motivations for running the podcast and also doing a YouTube channel with lots of advice out there so people have resources they can turn to that hopefully they will trust. I had a chat with a colleague a few days ago. Um, She's had to just put a note out to her clients reluctantly to say that she will be unable to take phone calls now and actually people will need to book in for a consult with her because she's just on her limit with the amount of referrals and puppy consults and people phoning up for advice. And, And all of us are generally only kind of one man bands and we're all trying to manage cases. So I messaged her to say I was in the same predicament. You know, I would happily spend 45 minutes on the phone to a client, you know, free of charge, discussing their situation, building some trust and giving them the opportunity to decide if they wanted to work with me or not. And that's just no longer viable. I just physically do not have the time to do that, which is is awful because I want to be there for everyone. But it has got to the stage where the sheer volume of puppies and, and now adolescent dogs um, that, you know, puppies that are being bought now and adolescents coming in from, from last year and the first lockdown, owners are requiring so much support that actually I need to prioritise who I can speak to and when I can speak to them. I think there'd be many, many scenarios whereby um, people with animals or with dogs generally will reach out to their veterinary professional. I've got great relationships with vets and I'm very respectful of that and I'm happy to support them. It is not possible for a vet in practice with the 10 to 15 minute consult appointments that they've got to be able to support every client's needs when they walk through the door with a brand new puppy and a hundred questions. As dog behaviour professionals, we're really offering a supportive role for the vets where we can help those clients, spend a lot more time with those clients. I had a, um, a vet I'm very close to um, who phoned me one morning to say that in her morning surgery between 9 and 11am, she'd seen 17 brand new puppies come through the door. I can say to you that if I spend two hours with you as a client, setting you up, teaching you about puppy behavior, teaching you all the pitfalls and what you need to do, you could treble that and keep going before I've actually managed to deliver everything you need for that puppy's early well-being. So for these poor vets who 
are having these brand new puppies in and they have this volume of information they want to deliver, 10 to 15 minute appointment is just never going to be enough. Really, my relationship with vets, as I know, has been the same for many other practitioners over the last year, has been intensified. I've got some great relationship with vets, but now we're kind of supporting each other. And I've got a few close vet friends that we've been able to kind of chat through cases and I've been given feedback and really been able to help them and prevent some of these dogs taking their frustrations and their upset and aggression out when they go into their vet practice. I think the other thing that that clients need to remember is the puppy that arrived at the vet practice during lockdown was taken away from its owner, usually picked up, taken into a vet practice, handled professionally and with care, with apps, you know, there's no doubt about that. But the first experience for that puppy in vet practice would have been quite intense. So creating scenarios whereby that dog now or that adolescent dog needs to visit the vets and have a fun time. Once we have the opportunity to do that, I would absolutely be encouraging clients to go and do that. Just take your puppy in or take your adolescent dog in to say hi to everybody, be weighed, get a couple of treats and go home with no pressure. Because if their only memory is to have been taken off with a bunch of strangers through a COVID pandemic, then when they go back as a fully-fledged adult, they're not going to be very impressed about being handled. The introduction of designer breeds, I guess, is something we should consider. The, the cost of puppies has been utterly outstanding. I've had various screenshots sent to me with cockapoos being sold for £4,500. There's been a huge increase in, in breeds that we haven't seen a lot of some of the kind of different pedigree crosses are obviously quite popular but dogs like collies different types of collie different types of setter uh, different different types of german shepherd are being bought um, because they're more accessible and these other breeds that have been more popular are just so difficult to get to get hold of now so these more challenging breeds are out there and not necessarily being able to cope with the level of social learning that they're getting it certainly affected my life in a huge way. Um, Marley Dog is a golden doodle um, and he's second generation golden doodle and he had the best upbringing. The breeder was amazing. She delivered a, a fantastically well socialised puppy. But what transpired with him when I met him on a, on a consult was he seemed to be internally really quite challenged and in conflict with himself. And if you think about these breeds in general, and I'll talk in general about them rather than specifically Marley for now, essentially what you've got with the Take the Cockapoo is you've got a real social pleaser in the form of the Cockapoo. They're very sensitive dogs, really want to succeed, very strong working drive. And then from the Poodle element, you've got a much more aloof dog, stubborn dog, really quick learners, really great pets they can make amazing pets but they are also quite a strong and determined working animal with quite a lot of dominant type traits so if you watch the poodle's stance posturing that doesn't mean they're a dominant dog that's for a whole nother podcast and that's very different to what i'm saying but dominant traits i mean um their posture is quite strong they're quite intense they um, are usually very confident dogs particularly the standard poodles i'm thinking about so when you mix these two breeds together with two completely different innate drives you cause conflict in the dog and they have to think for themselves, which way do they go? Which innate drive do they pull off of? And, and often the frustration that comes from that comes in these huge bouts of anxiety. So you might see hyperexcitability, you might see processing issues where the dog just freezes, the dog might be really intolerant 
to sensory touch and handling. They might be an absolute nightmare with prey drive. So chase drive instinct is off the scale. So they chase and run after everything and lunge at everything. So anytime where there's lots of external pressure, you'll see that dog lose the ability to cope. So having a stable environment at home and one where they're protected from human emotion and they have the ability to have time out and some downtime is something that needs to be managed really carefully so you don't cause unnecessary stress, but definitely put in place right from the very start so that you're looking at supporting these dogs and being able to offer them guidance rather than letting them go in on their own, watching them fail and then having to try and correct poor behaviours, which is never advisable. 